y'all. It's Monica. Thought I'd share with you today a conversation I had recently with Clint Powell, our old friend from During the Break podcast. I really love talking to him. He always puts a smile on my face. He makes me feel like it's the old normal. We caught up on what's going on in our lives and in podcasting and in the world. So this is just the highlights. It's it's probably most of our conversation, but if you want to hear the whole thing, it's in its entirety and other conversations Clint has. He posts almost every day, I think, uh, in a variety of podcasts. But the best place to start is the During the Break podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting platform. So enjoy the show. You can also hear this on your favorite podcasting platform. But if you don't like the commercials, which you're going to get on iTunes, uh, check out Deep Dives Premium, where you can get all of my content commercial-free. That's a, uh, a special feature on iTunes. Otherwise, find everything I have on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Here we go. Three, two, one. How you doing, Monica Perez? I'm great. I'm with compliments. It's so happy that I could do you a solid. That's oh, great. You've done me a number of solids. Aww. You are a solid human being. Oh, that's super sweet. Hey, I noticed your shelves are empty. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. What, what's going on with you? You're moved or so moving? I or? moved. This is my new house and I needed to earthquake proof the shelves because I'm in LA. So this is, I bought a house in LA. So I'm, I, I've either given up hope or have an endless supply of hope because I'm trying to carve out like a little piece of sanity in LA. And actually the, where I am is like on the very edge is pretty cool, but it's got earthquakes. So I was waiting to put my books up and over time, maybe I'll just do like one shelf at a time. These are my super fancy books that are in there. Now I've got, okay. got a first edition of Atlas Shrugs of wow. tragedy and hope. Yeah. I've got some, some good stuff there. It's of no value. You do not need to break into my house. No, it's a yeah. little bit of value, but it's not worth tracking me down. But I love that. And she's got big dogs, so I do have big dogs, so it's all it's all good. And I have big sons and all that. Let's talk podcasting and and how you've kind of had to change it a little bit the last month or so while you're moving. Yeah. And you're going to go back to the deep dive stuff, right? You're going to yes. Okay. So actually, maybe if people are listening to this, I can appeal to the masses. Yeah. I I don't think I can. The daily news thing, I, I had to stop because there's too many going on, too many things going on. And also, I didn't like that I could never really dive deep. So I'm trying to think of how to use my talents the best that I can in the time that I have. And so as when my kids are gone, I've gotten many emails that are like, when your kids are gone, you know, like you were saying, like, you're going to have like lots of free time. And like, when you're finished, this house needed a lot of work. When you're finished with that, like, you're going to have a lot of free time. So I'm trying to think of how, uh, cause I miss, I miss like, uh, really being connected to what's happening in the world and trying to, um, exchange ideas about it. So I was thinking maybe an interview a week and one deep dive a week and maybe a week, a weekend news roundup, like once a week, just do all the headlines once a week, do one story super deep. And then once we do a conversation, so I'm, I'm thinking of that, but if anybody wants to tell me where they think my highest and best use is, I'm totally open to it. I'm ready to reinvent myself. Well, I, I will give you my gut take on stuff. I love the interview. I love the deep dive and I love the recap. Here's why this is just, this is me talking from uh, on a much smaller scale, but it's still scaled how my podcast has changed and what I do with Jeff and with Eric, the deep dive stuff. I think uh, scratches that itch for you to do research and 
the guest stuff, I hate to say this, it takes research, but also you're not they're you're they're doing the heavy lifting. And so it's a little bit of relaxed and, and engaging for you. I like that concept a lot. And then the recap, I think you go with Monica's top 10 or top five headlines that you may have missed. And here's the deal. And just my my oh, gut says nice, yeah. Not the not the ones that everyone else is talking about. These oh, that's are the, a great idea. Well, because it kind of goes back to the days of the propaganda stuff. It's the yeah. stuff that no one else is looking at. So you can go. By the way, if you want to see the 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 number one, two, five headlines, that's great. Yeah. Here's five there's things. Hundred, you may, yeah, hundred podcasts that are talking about there's it. There's a thousand of, but no yeah, one's talking about these five headlines. And right. here you go. Okay, that or if I cool. have a different take from the one that Absolutely. you're getting from left or right. Yeah, that's, that's a right. great idea. Um, I'm writing that down. Uh, you should yes. come up with your own drink called the Monica Twist. Oh, oh, yes. And you have so, a twist. You have a drink, a Monica Twist, while you're giving your twist on the news. So after the news, I might slide into a cocktail hour, Monica's Dive Bar. Oh, there you go. Hat tip to my producer who has been clamoring for that for a while. He actually wants me to have a bar, which I could. Like, I could have well, a see, bar. See, I like the twist, too. Monica's twist, because your twist on the news. Either one. That could wow. be the drink. The Monica twist at the Monica dive bar. Something like that, you know. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Because you put your twist on everything. Well, talk to me uh, real quick about the uh, the interview you just did, though. You've done several good so, interviews lately. Yes, this is coming out on I think Monday. It's I was speaking to Joni McGarry, who she had founded, co-founded the NoCollegeMandates.com. She was, and she just hosted an event at Dartmouth with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to um, talk about college mandates, and they just they they don't want schools to require the COVID vaccine. And a lot of schools still do. Mm -hmm. So they, she's works on that. She just is for choice. And, uh, but she's so well-read and interesting that we decided to collaborate on a couple of things. And one of them is this report from Iron Mountain, which was a book written in, it was, it's about 80 pages. You can get the PDF easily free. It was written in the sixties and it was, the subtitle was on the possibility and desirability of peace. And it, it's supposedly a think tank commissioned by the government with 15 like super high level thinkers to decide if what would happen to the social, to, to American society, specifically the like hierarchy, the right. structure of society, if, if peace broke out, if like because of nuclear weapons, the threat of war was no longer credible. Like if that really, like what we thought yeah. would happen, if it really happened, like everybody's That's, got nukes, nobody yeah. starts a fight. In the 60s, they thought that that was a real possibility. And right. in my opinion, they decided through this document that that was unacceptable and they needed to create other dangers or just perpetuate war or perpetuate a cold war because too many bad things would happen. Specifically, they would no longer be able to control society. So they needed something that was like really big and scary and as as big as society itself. And I think they landed on a pandemic and that that's how they're doing all the things they wanted to do, including control the population and everything else. Well, I think okay, so let's do I'm saying this now for everybody that's that's fact checkers or whoever demonetized. This is a conspiracy theory. I'm about to say it's a conspiracy. Whoa. 
There's two things on this. First of all, 1984 becomes more real every time you and I talk because that's what they were doing (laughs) in 1984. They had to have an enemy to keep everybody in control, whether, you know, your age or whatever it was. Second, I heard the other day, and let me ask you if you've heard this. This is rambling, but it's okay. So here was the theory that UFOs, UFOs as we know them, are not real. They are having to create the perception and the threat of UFOs Mm -hmm. because the goal is eventually so one world can come together. The government go only us together can fight the threat of UFOs. And it's a manufactured crisis because what we've learned is through crisis and emergencies is how hierarchies, tyrannies form and get more power. Yes. Have you heard that? (laughs) That's I mean. I just said it yesterday on the show. We were talking about that because one of the things they mentioned was to have a threat of an alien invasion and then use a space force to deal with that. And they said the only problem would be it would be super difficult to make the credible case that there were aliens and that they could work on it. Yes. And they said that it would work perfectly because a, the biggest thing they need is something that's, they need fear and danger. Like it has to be a fearsome, dangerous enemy and it has to be extremely wasteful. You have to be able to piss a lot of money away and you have to never, it has to be an unending threat. And, and the, the three big ones that the aliens in space, they mentioned specifically. Yeah. Environmental catastrophe, they mentioned specifically, yeah. but they did not mention pandemic specifically. Well, so we saw I think, how the fear and the money yeah. was, was used with the COVID. Yes. Uh, with, and, whether, and, and I've got friends that are right now sick with COVID, by the way. I've got two that oh, are yeah, really, really back. sick. Yeah, but I mean, I mean I, I've got one friend right now that's really bad, you know. So uh, I'm hoping would, they get better. Hopefully they don't have to get on a ventilator because that's the, that's the, I've told I everybody, we'll get me up yeah. and walk me around, whatever you got to yes. do. Don't yes. pull me out of wherever I'm at. If they tell me yes. just, yeah, I'd rather, yeah, anyway. And my mom had it not too long ago and she, she was really sick. And what we did was we gave her just round the clock over the counter cough suppressants, which who knows what's in that. She hates like medicine. As soon as she did that, she just got better. Vitamin D. Zinc. Oh yes, I'm telling you. Vitamin oh my gosh, we talked about quercetin like quercetin. three years ago. Yeah, you know what? I just read an article and I tweeted it yesterday that quercetin creates infertility, and I was like, I, I don't. I'm just saying, like, it's so funny that the that even they get you coming and going, like they they and they gonna hurt me because I've been fixed. But yeah, yes, to the fine, rest of the vir- the the virile young man out there. This was a big thing in the report from Iron Mountain. Every single thing had to have a way to transfer um, procreation from like the good old fashioned way to a government control. That was an absolute like it has to kill people. It's population and control. Prevent, right. It has to kill people and it has to prevent natural births. We and, want you to have babies when we want you to have babies. Yes, yes. And what they said was basically they want to sterilize everyone and then give them select people an antidote. So I would think like IVF is like that, get everybody to work until they're 40 and can't, you know, have a hard time with that, with uh, fertility and then turn around and give them IVF if they have good health insurance. So that's. And and if you think about with AI now, when the alien stuff, they can create a lot of stuff that they will create. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Blue beam, right. Or they can project it onto the sky. Wow. So true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a weird. 
I don't understand it either. I was so like, I know a lot of teens, I have teens and I just, I ask like, I'm in the car with my friends, kids and stuff. And I just, as a litmus test, I always ask. And in the beginning, I was like, do you think that uh, transgender athletes should be able to play on a team of their choice? Mm -hmm. And the answer was like, yes, absolutely. And I thought, wow. So they got the kids, the girls, who were playing soccer and stuff to get mm -hmm. right on board. Like it's totally fine. And when I like, we're moving, moving a lot of furniture and stuff. And my son and daughter, when I asked my son to help me, he laughs. He's like, this is too heavy for you to lift on your own. Like he's laughing. He can't get his mind. Right. He's like our chicks that week. And I'm like, yes, I cannot lift that. And, and I but work you out. have stuff. a baby. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Screw yeah. you. Right. Yeah. But, but he just can't believe it. And then we both concluded like, this is putting genetically male people on female teams is just, you're well, it's turning. It's just it's, negative, it's, it know? is turning though. It's turning a little bit. There are a lot of young women that are coming out now, college and even high school. And my daughter has talked to a lot of them. They're, they're coming and it's not, and I, we've talked about this and I know I've talked about with Eric and Matthew on our editorial version of Upbind for the People. Kindness and inclusion has been used as a weapon now. So in, we've redefined what kindness is. It used to be kindness was me, ex you know, being empathy, uh, uh, giving grace and mercy. I'm okay. You're okay. Kind of stuff. But kindness also came with the other side of it because you love your kids and being kind to somebody also means saying hard truths. The hard truths now has been removed. And if you're not inclusive and kind as the new definition has it, now you're just an, you're a bigot or you're some sort of phobic. Yes, I um I totally agree. And I think they're pushing us to where you have to make that choice. Like that's annoying to me. They're making it so extreme that somebody like me who absolutely does not like to ruffle feathers, I know it's hard to believe because I, you know, have controversial opinions, but I do not like conflict. And still I, you know, have to take a side. But um, but in the bigger picture, what you're talking about, like the difference between goodness and being just like, quote, nice and being kind. I really had to come to terms with that as a mother of teens in this terrible experience of lockdown in LA and conflict and with other people and whatever. And somebody recommended a book to me, which was, I think, like Psych 101 called Boundaries. Boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, it was so exactly perfect for me because it 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 was couched a lot in Christian values and had Bible quotes in it and stuff. And what it's trying to explain to you is if you were raised to believe that you should like do a lot of charity, really go out of your way for people, you can um, not draw the line where the line needs to be drawn in the name of goodness, or yeah. you can like, you can expend a lot of resources on someone who's good at exploiting someone's better nature. You know, and that can work on the bigger picture scale or the smaller picture scale. And and then I realized how much courage and and strength and um, character it takes to have to say no. Mm -hmm. It's your kids or whatever have to set things straight, even if they get upset or they don't get what they want. Like I just guess was I was too much of a pushover. It may it's natural to a lot of people. I really admire parents who are good at it. I had to learn it, but I had to learn it because it was really, truly necessary. So you have to draw the line sometimes. I've heard two really good things along what you're saying. One is um, I heard one was from a guy, one was from a girl. 
And they were both these motivational speakers. And the internet does bring us some good stuff sometimes. And this guy has a thing where he says, listen, don't be a nice guy. Be a good man. Nice, nice. guys. I love it. Nice, nice guys will say what they need to say to go along. But good men will do that up until the point they realize it's going against principles and the truth. And then they say what they need to say in a kind way. Being a good guy, a uh, good man is more important than being a nice guy. Then I heard this lady, and I wish I could remember her name, but she did a, a much better job of explaining it. And it's a nuanced thing. Fitting in versus belonging. Fitting in means I change who I am to be amongst you. Wow, Belonging means I find people who have accepted me for who I am and all the, tr and, and if I have to speak truth to them, then I speak truth to them. But fitting in means I, that, now I believe that there's a certain amount, it's healthy to fit in some places because those boundaries can require me to grow up sometimes in, in a society, right? I've, I'm going to fit into a family. If the morals are good, that creates better me. The morals are bad. It can create a bad me. But I just think those two things are good. Uh, those, That's you know. a great distinction. I absolutely love that. I'm going to share that with my kids. And yeah. I want to say as far as like saying it in a kind way, I got this experience from being on the radio. And it's also what my mother taught me. So it comes from two different angles. So on the radio, I, I have this famous experience I've talked about many times. Like I can't win. When Bruce Jenner announced he was transitioning to Caitlyn Jenner, mm -hmm. I said, as a libertarian, he can do whatever he wants. I'm not going to want to law against that. But he has six children by three different women. I don't think he was he was born a woman. Like I don't know what's going on with him, but he does not seem like an authentic transgender person to me. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. People. Catholics were like, who are you to say he has the right to do that? Um, and like LGBTQ, like, who are you to say that he's like faking it or whatever? And I cried for four days and I realized, oh, I was so upset because people were incredibly mean. Like everything I read was just riddled with like m m attacks on me. And my point is that I realized after that, that I, before I opened my mouth, I have to really, really know what I think and believe and want to say. And if I really can't come up with anything, then I can say that. Like, I really don't know what to think about this. But you have to just really be ready to stand behind what you're going to say. And that was something that, like, I think without being exposed to tens of thousands of people at once who will, you know, slap yeah. you down, it's, that was a hard, it, that was something that I think I had a unique experience to learn. But my mother would always say as we were growing up, do it from a place of love. And that it was a similar thing. Like I had to, if, if I, if I have conflict with somebody and I'm like, I had to tell this person, this is not okay. I, if you want to do it with the right tone of voice, you have to really look inside yourself and see what your motives are mm -hmm. and, and find the ones that are good. And if there are ones that are ego or pride, or I just want to be right, or I'm embarrassed because I was wrong, anything like that, you got to work through before you have the conversation. And sometimes you don't even have to have the conversation. But if you can say, I need to talk to this person out of a place of love, concern, a willingness, and a desire to have a, a continually deepening relationship with this person, if you really mean that, it's hard to do. But if you really mean that, then you, you can achieve a lot in your relationships, I think. But it has to be from a place of love. And that's how you have those kind words. That's how you say it in the right way. The reason it's important to get in touch with what you 
you try to really understand the truth and the context of your values is the popular thing is not always judged well by history. Think of all the statues that come down. Which side of that, which side of that argument are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the side that's putting that statue up? Or are you going to be on the side that that endures in in the you know in the eyes of God, really? Yeah. Just let it go. Yeah. I yeah. I agree. I just I just and here and this is and I've learned this from listening to other podcasts. So I've stolen this concept, but I love it. If I'm talking to the masses about men cannot menstruate, right? But I've got a friend who is struggling with their identity. I'm going to speak differently to them than I would the masses. I may not say anything different, but how I approach that conversation is going to be a lot more different because it's specifically about one person whom I have a relationship with or whom I know. And so it doesn't mean the truth has changed. It means how I'm going to represent it will change because the audience is different. That is such a good point. And I've learned that because I have a big uh, contingency of like Irish cops in the city of New York yeah. in my family. I've got like motorcycle gang people in my family. <laughs> I've got public school teachers in my family. I have healthcare professionals. I have a huge family. I have 40 first cousins. So I have a lot of people. Yes. So God. you don't want to. Well, that includes us. So like there's 40 yeah. in this generation. And there's so, so. You can't say like the pu public school teachers are like this. Public schools do this. It's the people I know. I know, as a friend of mine used to say, assholes come in every color. You know, yeah. and good people have all sorts of jobs. Like you just, you know, just because they work for the government or they're in an institution that isn't isn't that isn't run in good faith doesn't mean that you can that you can judge each individual like that. So I do try not to generalize, but it's it's well, it's difficult. And and it's a kind of a, not a shame. I should be better with my words, but we shouldn't have to qualify every single thing we say. Now, I'm not saying all cops. Of course, yes, we're not saying yes, all cops. yes, yes. Those yes. cops that committed this crime are assholes. The other 90% yes. are not. For the love of God, we're not talking about all teachers or all priests or all football teams or all husbands. Right. Or all I just had somebody on my podcast who was just on with Dr. Phil, and then she was on oh, with PragerU, cool. Callie Fontanilla. Nice. She's a school teacher that left California. And because of all the social agenda stuff, the reason I'm bringing that name up randomly is if you ever do something on education, you should get her on your podcast. Oh, sure. She's a young African-American girl and she is freaking rock star. I wonder if she knows John Taylor Gatto. He was the, he was a, well, he died, unfortunately, super unfortunate, but he, he was one teacher of the year several times. He was had an unorthodox but really effective teaching style in the inner city of New York. And he resigned in a letter to the Wall Street Journal, <clears throat> I mean, decades ago now, but just saying like these schools are not meant to bring out the best in the kids. And I can't, I can't. Are we seeing that now? That. You know, I, now, we yeah. talked about this before. How unnatural is it, speaking from a dude's perspective, to sit a 12-year-old a boy in a classroom for eight hours a day and then say that don't make, don't move, I know. don't make a noise. And I mean, like, and learn. I'm like, I, I'm looking back on it. I'm like, yeah. I guess it's an effective way, but there's gotta be, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta think, be a better way. I think Plato said, don't teach boys or anyone, but he was always talking about boys to read until they're 10. I don't know about that now. Play I mean, I'm not saying that, but he was just saying that until you're 10, you should be getting a physical education. 
uh, you'd mentioned a word that you've always claimed libertarian. You did an interview mm-hmm. um, and a, a Fabian socialist roots of libertarianism. So <laughs> yes. I, there's four words there that by themselves, yes. I think I know what they mean. When you stick that yeah. all together, what the hell does that even mean? So there's a really great podcaster. I mean, she and she's very active in, I mean, I, I won't label her. She's definitely not a libertarian, but she's, um, I think she basically wants to save the culture that she's working towards that Courtney Turner. And she's super smart, very well researched. And she has an interesting personal story. And, um, but she knows all about kind of the roots of people are say they capital T they, or, um, the deep state or whatever. And she can tell you exactly who those people are with their own documentation from the Tavistock Institute that does a lot of psychological experimentation and research as a think tank that informs policy. Mm-hmm. A lot of times behind the scenes, I think they were just in the news for their aggressive tra- transgender policies ar- around children. And uh, also, but the origins of it all seem to me, or the first big organization that infiltrated it founded the labor government in in england it was called the fabian society they're fabian socialists and they were basically satanic and luciferian it's like do what thou wilt the kind of thing and and they have a logo that is a sheep and a wolf in sheep's clothing and their goal is to shape the world as they would like it and they are behind a lot of policies especially immigration policies that are meant to disrupt cultures both from the contributing you know, the people who are where the country they're migrating from and where they're ending up behind a lot of the policies in England from the 60s that are this colonial policy where anyone from a country that England ever colonized had has like a green card to get into England. And boy, when you have when you're dealing with India, which has a billion people, that's just going to completely up it. And and it's like water flowing to to where, you know, there's more resources in London. Of course, people are going to go there. And if you go to London now, you can see that it's definitely majority minority. So that's the Fabian stuff, but they're along the way, like uh, F.A. Hayek, Friedrich Hayek, who is one of the founders of the Austrian School of Economics, which is the libertarian, the basis of libertarian economic thought. He, uh, I believe, was a Fabian or in any case was certainly Fabian adjacent. He, the Fabians uh, founded the London School of Economics where he taught and uh and she was just saying how libertarianism, because, because it ultimately says greed is good. And I always said that. I was like, greed drives productivity right. and competition checks greed like it's a great system. But I have had Catholics tell me that Catholic social teaching is not about like socialism. It's not about redistributing wealth. It's about your government and your economy and stuff being informed by a morality like one moral tenet of catholicism is that you must pay a man a decent wage a living wage a real living wage you can't um steal from women or orphans like you you have to like those are crimes that cry out to heaven so 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 she's very deep into that and as i started to think about it i thought maybe libertarianism was planted to get us to divorce ourselves from morality that over generations will sterilize society, you know, erode community. I don't know. But my big problem that I was trying to resolve is as an anarcho-capitalist who doesn't believe in the coercive state, 
am I really a tool to that they will use as a stepping stone to world government? So if you tear down the nation state, am I going to end up with 7 billion Liechtensteins or yeah, am I going to end up with state. one world government, one world government? And, and, and that is what Hayek seemed to want. Yeah. I, you know, me and you've talked about this before. I, I think uh, a hierarchy and government are almost inescapable in our world. And, and so listening to you, one of the things that I always hear about communism and socialism is it's never been tried, right? That's the thing. It's, <laughs> It's always tr- it's when it's been tried, you'll hear from people go, it's never been tried right. This time we're going to get it right. right. The last time it killed 30 million people, but not yes. this time. Well, I kind of think, and this is going against the conservatives, uh, and I'm a conservative, right? I, I'm a conservative. But I would say that capitalism as we have let it get to is not in its true form either. I would say, <clears throat> now I don't think the consequences are near as detrimental or come, along, come, come around as fast. We as conservatives have said profit matters, greed is good, that is fine. But somewhere in the six, maybe it's long before that, in the last 50 to 75 years, we have, we, the conservatives, without checking government, have let the government and corporates start, corporations start holding hands to such a degree that as we see corporations now, we're all griping about this Disney and we're griping about Facebook and this collusion and the big corporations and five food companies own all the food. Well, that's our fault. Because we just kept saying, yeah, but it's capitalism. Yeah, but it's capitalism. Well, capitalism with no moral, no moral boundaries is, can be just as bad as every other system with no moral boundaries. And I, I, I think we as conservatives have to pack, pull back on that and own it and go, wait a minute. We have let, we have let the desire to, to point to capitalism to be the one thing that fixes society, which I agree with. But that doesn't mean it's too much of anything without checks and balances can be te- hijacked and taken over for evil. That's my theory. Uh, I agree. And I think that if you look back at the norms of business and the small businessman in the 50s, like there were serious moral standards and there was public approbation if you violated those. But as we get to more and more centralized control at the top, less and less competition and, and things like the pandemic, lockdown, whatever did totally undermine small businesses. That was policy decisions. So it, these are not natural forces. These aren't libertarian principles at work at or all. Or capitalism principles. Yeah, even. capitalism. Yeah. And they yeah. take, and they, and they've, the, uh, see, this is the problem with capitalism, even as a word, is that if you look at it, capital, if you think of it as financial capitalism, where everything gets kind of removed to the money system, yeah. then it, that in itself is like this fundamental corruption of kind of free trade, entrepreneurship, sound money, all of that. It's not real, like it's it's abstracting capital. And I worry about that, like Milton Friedman is supposedly a libertarian, but he was a monetarist from the Chicago school like Hayek. And what he talked about is manipulating the economy through control of the money supply, which you can That's say- why you have the Fed now and stuff. Yeah, you yeah. can say all the libertarian stuff you want, but if you're <clears throat> taking a basic assumption, like in Hayek's case, calls for world government, and in um, Friedman's case, it, it, wanting to control like this fake money, I mean, nothing, it will ultimately be corrupted. It's corruptible. And Right. It's it's like well, not real capitalism, not real libertarianism. But if there are corruptible forces, corrupting forces everywhere all the time, and the people aren't smart enough to outrun them, and, and we don't defend the Constitution. The con- I think the Constitution, although it's, pro- it's set up too big a government, 
if we had just defended it, if we defend it now, if we restore it now, that would do it. I Absolutely. think that, that's why I like the 10th Amendment. Well, and so <clears throat> to me, I have to break things down into simple pictures in my little pea brain because <clears throat> I don't have a law degree from Harvard or <laughs> wherever you and Eric go Stanford. to Stanford, whatever, wherever y'all people go, you one percenters. Uh, so I, I almost look as capitalism is, is, is the, the if we, the people, remove morality from how we interject. And this is the com this is why I say every argument we have is eventually going to go back to the church and the family. I don't care if it's around money or a cult. It's all going to end up going back to what's going on at your dinner table and what's going on on Sundays or Saturdays whenever you worship. That's where this is all going to end up at. That's going to be the ultimate battleground right there. We see it now creeping into the families through the schools versus the kids. We see it going on. It's happened. It's going to happen. But if we as a society do not buffer capitalism or education or any policy with moral control, we are that's the buffer between our skull and our brain is that liquid that keeps us protected. Our morals is the buffer between reality and evil shit and people that want to take over and the core. And if we just say it is good no matter what, and we don't imply or supply the morality around it, we're just going to, it'll be, it'll be hijacked by all the corruptibles. Yes. And what I'll say is as a libertarian, I've always said, just make sure that that morality is not enforced at the point of a gun. And I can stand by that. But, but the, but the basic backdrop of that is culture and religion, I think is this is, uh, integrally related to culture. Like you can't, can't really separate it. I mean, I guess you could, in our case, we have a really consumerist culture, mm -hmm. but, but whatever the, the culture is, whatever the expectations are, do you expect to be cheated when you walk into a store? Do you expect someone to lie to you? Do you expect honesty? Do you expect to be treated the same, whether you're in somebody's cultural group or ethnic group or whatever, or White outside or black, yeah. a double ethic in that, in that culture. If you know what the culture is and violating the culture has consequences. So I, my famous example is tipping. I used to make $2 an hour as a waitress and, but I would take home $20 an hour because people always, always tipped. And if you didn't tip the other people at the table would make fun of you. And I couldn't call the cops on anybody. I wouldn't even run after them. It was simply cultural and it worked absolutely perfectly. But we can see with the way they intentionally manipulate the culture, like multiculturalism is in itself makes it impossible to really understand what's expected. And it, it actually sets up clashes and and then you have the subjective thing where you can't look down on somebody for not following the cultural rules. But if you need, I, I would say most moral systems have contingencies for everything. So of course yeah. you don't want to pick and choose your like, you don't want to pick and choose. Like my father used to say, grocery store Catholic, the things that work for you and the things that don't, it's the cohesive system that's been emerging over a thousand years that works. And, and the multiculturalism I think is confusing and it create, it gives rise to people <clears throat> wanting to make laws that determine morality. You know, I even think about ma marriage and abortion and divorce and stuff being on the federal level. It's a problem because what you want is to handle that stuff at the smallest possible level.
Well, that's the only thing you can really change, right? I mean, if, if we take your philosophy, if I'm listening to it correctly, the only thing Monica can really change is herself. So it, it's the same. You know what I'm saying? I can't. It's Aristotle. Can't, you have control over yourself. If it's Plato, the, the community has to police everybody's behavior. Right. Well, so to your point, one of the things that I think multiculturalism has done is it's done a really good job of separating us, like you said, into you look like this, so you have to operate as this block does. And by the way, if you try to act, if you try to take anything from that group that you like, it's called appropriation. And you have to label mm -hmm. people certain things. So we have created, whether I'm giving or taking from a culture that's not mine, we've created the angst and the, hey, you shouldn't be judging me like that because you don't know my truths and don't be wearing my hair braids or don't be you know wearing my kilt. You don't know that. And that's ridiculous, especially when you're trying to create a country that's air quote, the melting pot. Right. And, the, the, and the policies are very uh, influential on how that was a big thing in the report from Iron Mountain. It's like this was from 60 years ago. And they were saying we have computer models that can determine literally a small if you'd make a small change in the draft law, Bang. how that will affect real estate in lower Manhattan. The price of real estate in lower Manhattan, they used a, a numerous examples. So when they make these changes in immigration law, they know exactly what they're doing. And so here you are in, you know, especially like in California, there's in Texas, there was a lot of Hispanic immigration here. There's a lot of Chinese immigration in um, New York. There's a lot of Russian immigration. In Tennessee, you, we get a lot of California immigration. I'm sorry about that. That's <laughs> our, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And we're losing the good ones. Yeah. So I just feel like what what they're so you are looking for you are immersed in a culture that you don't understand and culture takes years to understand and I think that they are on purpose making it confusing for everyone and it's not like the immigrants are any better off they didn't they were encouraged to leave also and yeah. and they are out of their element as well If we cannot agree that the Constitution is going to be our our gauge, if we can't, if we don't have the ability to say, okay, everybody, reds, blues, in the middle, purples, the the magas and the wokes, whatever, we're all going to get together and go, hey, we're going to agree to the Constitution. If we can't do that, then I don't know where we go without the threat of one side's going to have the ability to put the other side in jail, and that terrifies me. Yeah, it's I I never liked the federal level of approaching stuff like marriage or whatever like um if if a catholic orphanage or adoption agency only and I I think they always only would give kids to uh you know male female married mm -hmm. yeah. you, know, you couldn't be single you couldn't be gay whatever like they this is the nuclear family this is what they're promoting and once you say that you know, federal law to have the right to marry anyone you want, which is totally fine. But that or whatever, I don't I don't like federal laws about this kind of stuff. Me and you all. agree on this. That's a yes. cultural thing. I don't understand why the federal yes. that's a makes it a business transaction instead and of something then, between you and God. And then you can force the bakery or the adoption agency or whatever. You can you have to force them to adopt your morality. And people, I mean, maybe point of a gun, it sounds dramatic, like you'll throw them in jail. But when you take somebody's business away, you close them down or make them pay big fines. I mean, that's 
that's a point of a gun. Like you're not getting their money without using force and you're doing it to punish them. Or if they're, if divorce were illegal and you wanted to not live together and they come and drag you and you know, what are they going to do? Chain you to the, to the inside of the house. They have to use force. But here's the go. Let's, let's go back to this. I love saying at the end of uh, with via force and rather than gun, I'll start using that because it sounds less dramatic and, and, and odds that we don't get whatever on mm-hmm. this thing. Mm-hmm. So, but, but again, I think it goes back to us abdicating morality of uh, the, the authority of morality in our lives. Why? Because if me and you are married and we decide not to be married anymore in the eyes of God and the government's not involved in it, and I walk off financially and completely screw you over and leave nothing for you, then all of a sudden the government has to come in and force a morality, which we all can look at and go, Clint should have done a better job depending on the circumstances again, right? Of helping her out. And so as a society it's a contract yeah, though they, so I, that was I, a marriage contract so so i, I i'm fine with there being if you want to enter into a contract with another person that has terms and if you want to cite that the terms are those that have been adjudicated over the years uh yeah. under the concept of marriage okay well then you might have a so cause you're, of action. You're, you're like a marriage contract yeah but, but any contract yeah. between two people yeah. you could have a roommate I, I and have a contract and yeah. just have a, even a non-sexual partnership for 50 years and say at the end of this year like i get your annuity or i get your life insurance i get your assets you have to take care of me we have to pay for these things together i mean or we have a child together we're, in the, know, we're on the same page now i love that yeah, yeah. that's though you those are real contracts and that's why i think gay couples want to have that because there is so much that's implied by that contract, but you don't need to make it a, uh, a moral issue that a Catholic adoption agency in, in some small town in Iowa needs to recognize, you know, as a, as a they family, have to change their like morality. They, have yeah, to they don't need yeah. the contract with you. The contract should be between Clint and Monica or Monica and her husband, rather than Clint, Monica, God, and the federal government. Any voluntary arrangement, those people, that bakery doesn't want to do the cake, did not enter into any contract with you just because they have a storefront that opens up to a public um, street. You know, in my opinion, you absolutely cannot enslave them to make it somebody cake else's for you. morality. Yeah. yeah. See, this goes back to why I said I think it's eventually going to end up on the doorstep of families and churches. This all well, that's where it should have been in the first place. It's subsidiary. We're, we're the ones that lost yourself. it. Yeah. And that's right. why you have to stand up for what you think. But I still don't, don't uh, agree with force for morality. I just, I feel like we're having a crisis because the morality that's essential for society is being intentionally jumbled up so that it's incoherent because it's a hodgepodge and there's, there are coherent. So if you have, if you allow divorce in your culture, you're going to have different contracts. You're gonna your contracts, your marriage contracts are gonna look different. They're gonna have more contingencies. But if you don't allow divorce, then your marriage contract isn't gonna contemplate what happens to uh, yeah. you know, a, 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 a disabled wife after divorce. Like, you know what I mean? You can't you can't have a hodgepodge. There has to be something more to it. You nailed it a minute ago. It used to be. It started with the families, then went to your neighborhood, then went to your church, then went to your little city, then went to your school, and it went in to out. Now it's going from out back, the pressure coming from big to small, and we can't really, I can't affect the federal government near as much as I can affect my neighbor across the street when they're struggling or there's something going on. And it just seems like we used to, I, I say this all the time, I used to get in trouble by all the dads, all the dads, not some of the, not just my dad. 
If I was a knucklehead, uh, yes. if I was a knucklehead five blocks over or three miles down the road, yeah. and one of my buddy's dad saw me, he would jerk me up just as fast, and then he would say, "Hey, let's go talk to your dad about no." Please, yeah, it does take a village. Me. It does take a village, um, but I call that phenomenon like the opposite of subsidiarity: upsourcing. Like we upsource everything, and then and that was the, my fear about the world government thing, and saying like, if you're going to eliminate the the nation state we're we have gotten into such the habit of upsourcing we are not on the precipice of decentralization that is no. not what's happening right now so no. if you if you eliminate all the barriers to that rocket ship up to world government there's going to be problems and I, I think my opinion changed so much because of how powerful irrational illegitimate lockdown policies you were, were surprised at that even and, and yeah. even from somebody that knew that it was oh, we, we, I, I was warning about it and then when it happened i was like, like whoa oh, this happened way <laughs> way i thought i thought you all were ready to fight and we were i mean i would go it's just like voting here i i like would go out and try to figure out who to vote for and then i find out that my guy got 10 percent of the vote it was the same thing with the masks and stuff i went and i was like went to the grocery store and immediately was like is this bullshit or what and uh, listen, I knew, I, I knew mean, people, yeah, people were turning, they were like backing away. They would turn one. on people. I have friends on social media and I, I try to say this as many times as I want, because I think shame and guilt are good things. I think all emotions, all things that we feel are come to us for a reason. Shame and guilt have helped me a lot in life. Realize that I shouldn't do yes. something I did. Yeah. Doesn't mean I want to live in it, but when it right. visits me, I want to ask myself, why is it here? I saw a lot of friends say things like this. Well, if Monica Perez did not get the vaccine, she should not be able to go to the hospital if she gets sick. Yeah. And when you say stuff like that, and yet you call the other side Nazis, you have missed right. how they turned on each other. You are the problem. Because if you're going to say that Clint can't go to the hospital because he didn't have the vaccine, if that's your take on it, then we're not friends all of a yeah. sudden. And I'm, I don't mean from my end. I mean, from your end, you don't wish that on people you care about. I don't wish that on people I don't care about. And that's what that is. People absolutely one. But despite saying they don't that like they have one percent faith in Congress, 10 percent faith in the media, whatever. That is people having 100 percent pure, unadulterated faith in the machines that generate that propaganda. And that's it. Because you, you put could, a white jacket on. It's just yeah, like being you a could. You can argue with, there's absolutely no, both sides of the argument have plenty to talk about and they, they're no, the other side does not want to hear it. Politi politics has become religion. I'm telling yeah. you, and the, we've seen yeah. tra traditional religion decline. I think the, uh, the, the thing that's filled that void of how do we base ourselves as morality as a nation has been politics and politics is not, ba is not designed to be our morality police. That's why religion and family unit is there. And, and when you screw those two things up, this is what you get. A big hodgepodge of, of politics, corporate capitalism, and morality. And none of them are supposed to be in the same place. Yeah. And it's just it, that is intentional, in my opinion. And it was meant to undermine our society. Yeah. And it has. I, think I it am so happy. Fun. Listen, yeah. I, you have been great with your time. I've kept you over an hour. You've got stuff to do at your house. You're, you've got kids, uh, a vineyard <laughs> now. I am looking forward to how you recreate and rebrand. Just promise me something. <laughs> yes. Don't go away completely, please. No, I always, I try to put up one or two shows a week, even when I am absolutely like elbow deep in, uh, I don't know what is like, just everything boxes mainly right now. 
but yes, I always try to put stuff up yeah. and yeah, I think I'll, I'll find my stride after I enter this new phase of my life. Where my kids That are is going. fantastic. Well, you've got a great voice out there. You have a great following and on behalf of somebody that listens, uh, keep doing it. Even if you have to change it, we, we love hearing your voice and your take on things. So thank you. Thank you so much.